The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Everyone, very sweet to be here in Andrea's uh, Sangha, um, stepping in for her. As Maureen mentioned, she's my main teacher. That's it's an honor to get to be a part of, be here and sharing in her group. Um, I'm curious if uh, if anyone has anything that they noticed that they would want to share um, in response to the what hap- what what you notice happens when you hear the bell ring. Is there a sense of relax, like a, a deeper sense of relaxing and ease, and and does 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 mindfulness necessarily always leave then? Or just curious what you what you notice around your experience of hearing the bell ring and how that impacts how much effort you're making. Um, if anybody has anything to share, share, Maureen. You had um, primed us a little bit to anticipate the bell. And I had thought, oh, am I going to relax? And when the bell came along, I get so entranced by the sound of mm. the bell or or captured by the way the street sounds like the ocean sometimes, that all I do is hear the thing. And there's probably some sort of relaxation involved mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's a highly physical process mm-hmm. that happens, but it's thought, all I noticed is that I experienced the sound. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, well, I don't know if I relaxed. Uh-huh. Great. It was neat. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, as a result of your guidance and priming us, um, I heard the bell. The bell had a different effect on me mm. than ever before. Mm. Um, in the past, when the bell would ring, I would be aware of it in more of a a mindful way from up here, Mm. like from the observing mind, Mm. but still the active mind. And this time, um, uh, I just let it permeate through me Mm. passively. You know, it Mm. just permeated. And I felt the awareness was really intense Partly because everything from here up mm. just shut up and mm. just stopped working. And yeah, so I did experience that the awareness was really alive and strong mm. um, without the need for observation from up here. Mm. So thank, thank you. Thank you. I've noticed a lot, um, and I've heard other people talk about that when, often when the bell rings, ah, there's like a, there's like a sigh of relief. There's like a, ah, now I can relax, (laughs) which is a really interesting pointing to what, what am I doing during the meditation? If, oh, when the bell rings, now I can relax, like, um, and points to the possibility, the, the question of the possibility of can the meditation itself be really restful and, and just as relaxing 
um, and not be some some kind of effort that we have to um, conjure and like kind of hold ourselves tightly and kind of do it. Um, uh, I often find that right when the bell rings, there's actually a really there's that relaxation and ease and and awareness is still right there. Um, there's just a really without trying to do it. Um, there's just a simple recognition of experience. Um, and uh, so especially in early years of practice, that was like really marked and really interesting. Um, and yeah, I think points to how, what, what our typical or what many of our typical relationship to effort and practice is or understanding of effort and practices. Um, and that it's possible to, actually be aware and interested with very relaxed, light, natural effort. Um, um, I know Andrea has been talking about, um, it's been actually over several months, has been going through the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path um, in this group. Uh, if for any of you that are regular, regular attendees, um, and that recently she's been talking about right effort. Um, so I'll just give a, a brief contextualization um, for anyone who's just dropping in and hasn't been following along um, with Andrea's kind of progression of talks. Um, so the, the, the Eightfold Path is like, is like a, the central, one of the central teachings um, in, in, in Buddhism. And it's, uh, it's a path of training and cultivation um, that covers all of the areas of our lives that, that that are there are suggestions or pointings to ways of being in life and in, in relationship to our own experience and in the world that can cultivate the ending of suffering that can cultivate a release from from suffering um, that can actually uproot the very sources of suffering um, and it it covers everything from wisdom and understanding to ethical conduct uh, based in non-harming in our daily lives um, and the, the cultivation, um, the meditative cultivation of mindfulness, concentration, effort. Um, and so effort, effort is um, what's needed. It's the, the, the energy, the kind of energy that's needed to contact um or to to engage with experience and to practice and um and there's there's four there are four components of the the traditional definition of of right effort um basically it boils down to abandoning the unskillful abandoning or just um not picking up and not not practicing what actually leads to more suffering um, what they call the unskillful or the unwholesome in the kind of traditional um, Buddhist translations. Um, so things like greed and aversion and um, hatred, delusion, all of the kind of reactive uh, unwholesome states that tend to lead to more suffering. Um, and, and it's in cultivating the wholesome, cultivating what's skillful and what leads to release from suffering. Um, so qualities like like mindfulness with wisdom. Uh, wisdom is one of the most wholesome 
qualities that can be cultivated. And that's cultivated through this simple, um, through this simple moment to moment tending to an interest in experience. Um, uh, qualities like, like, um, compassion and kindness and equanimity, uh, joy, um, and tranquility, relaxation. These are wholesome qualities. So right effort in the traditional definition is, is, um, whatever effort or energy is needed to cultivate the wholesome, to invite and cultivate the wholesome and to relinquish or let go of what's unwholesome or what causes suffering. Um, and it might sound like a lot to do, um, but those are actually all already happening just through a simple, non-reactive and interested awareness in, in moment-to-moment experience. Um, when, when, when we're aware of, like, for example, when there are unwholesome, or uh, unwholesome has this kind of, um, I don't know, puritanical, ethical kind of connotation, but when there are uh, painful or like, or states associated with suffering um, that are present, when we're actually just aware of them and interested in them and not in struggle with them, we're, we're cultivating, we're actually cultivating the wholesome. We're cultivating a skillful relationship with experience. We're cultivating awareness and non-reactivity, um, cultivating equanimity and cultivating kindness if that's present. Um, so it's not about forcing, trying to force or, or only have wholesome things arise, but it's an invitation. And what's our relationship to what is here? Is there a wholesome relationship? So just awareness with interest and non-reactivity is, is cultivating, um, is cultivating the skillful. It is what they call on the path onward leading. It leads towards greater freedom, leads away from suffering. Um, and it's when when those are when when those are playing out unconsciously is is when they're actually being re- they're being reinforced, um, and that can actually happen in how we're practicing. So if we're if we're efforting and strongly striving and and um, pushing hard and trying to get something, and we're we're practicing and cultivating maybe greed or tightness, or we're hating and trying to change our experience. Which is just, which is natural, which is ha- which happens in all of us all the time, um, you know. When, but when that's when that's not being recognized, and that's just kind of being, that's a, that's what we're buying into, and we're we're kind of we're we're orienting from that. Um, then that's what's that's what's being cultivated. Then, but just by including it in what we're aware of, um, and being interested in those without trying to get rid of them or change them, that is that is already skillful practice and right effort. So it's not, um, there's no um, hierarchy of experience in what, what is allowed to be here and what, and what we can learn from. Um, actually being aware of, being aware and interested of the, what are sometimes called the, the defilements, greed, aversion, delusion, the roots of suffering, awareness of them as an experience or as an, a meditative object isn't actually reinforcing them. It's, it's, um, it's actually cultivating greater wisdom and perspective on those so that they can play out and be just be more simple and matter of fact 
aspects of our experience um, that we can learn from. So those very things that cause suffering, when we become interested in them and include them in our in our our inquiry into what it is to be human, what experience is like, um, those very things can actually be the fuel for our awakening. Um, Oh, I want to do a little experiment with around effort and energy. Like, so if you if you if you will, if you want, um, become aware of the sensation of your lips touching if your mouth is closed. Become aware of the sensation of your hands and your feet. Now, if you're Eyes are closed. You can feel the sensation of your eyes, your eyelids. If your eyes are open, you can become aware of the fact that you're seeing. How much energy, how much energy or effort does it take to be aware of the sensation of your lips touching? Not very much. That's that's actually all that's required. That's all the effort and energy that's required um, to do this practice. It's not not helpful um, or necessary to strain or try to force or hold ourselves um, to know to kind of not let go of of awareness. And awareness is is mindfulness is just a, another quality of mind um, that is not actually subject to our control. Um, Just like we can't control what thoughts we're having, we can't control the the sensations in our bodies or our mood. Uh, We can do things to influence them, but we can't ultimately just control how it is all the time. Um, Mindfulness is is also um, just... Uh, the word the word that's often used to describe um, to describe experience or all all experience is one of the words one of the it's called a universe, universal characteristic of experiences uh, that it's conditioned con- they talk about conditionality in the Dharma a lot um, so there's a vast web of causes and conditions that are coming together um, from 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 the past that are giving rise to our current experience. And uh, whether or not there's awareness or mindfulness arising right now is is connected to so much more than just our intention to be mindful. But, and that's, but that's all we have, that's all actually all we have is to just drop in the intention to be aware and then to kind of get out of the way and know that we can't ultimately control our experience the mind is going to come and go. The mind is is going to get caught and struggle, and that's um, actually that is a really big learning in and of itself. This kind of release from the identification with doing the practice. Often it feels like you know it's something that we it can feel like we're doing it, um, and we have a sense of um, like kind of identification or taking birth as the one who's making it happen, the one who's being aware. Um, but seeing that we can't actually ultimately control whether or not we're aware in a given moment, we can just invite for there to be awareness, so invite for there to be 
mindfulness um, that can actually really, uh, when we start to see that that's not something that's in our control, that can support a real, a really big level of release from identification um, and the suffering that's that's necessarily bound up with that. Because um, if we're basing our sense of self in being able to do it or make it be a certain way when it's not, when it's not, when it's not how we want it to be, that's always going to cause suffering. Um, and experience is constantly flowing from, from pleasant to unpleasant to neutral and back and forth. And that is, none of that is in our control. Um, I want to read a, a poem that points to this quality of ease and relaxation in practice. Um, this is it's called Free and Easy, a spontaneous Vajra song by Lama Gendun Rinpoche. And I actually like to read this as practice instructions. Um, so I'll often... I'll often read this um, as an invitation um, into a, a way of being with with experience, a way, a relationship to experience. I actually like this as practice instructions a lot. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do or undo. Whatever momentarily arises in the body-mind has no real importance at all, has little reality whatsoever. Why identify with and become attached to it, passing judgment upon it and ourselves? Far better to simply let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves, without changing or manipulating anything. And notice how everything vanishes and reappears magically, again and again, time without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching, or a dog chasing its own tail. Although peace and happiness do not exist as an actual thing or place, it is always available and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like today's ephemeral weather, like rainbows in the sky. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open and relax this tight fist of grasping, infinite space is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. Make use of this spaciousness, this freedom and natural ease. Don't search any further looking for the great awakened elephant who is already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. Nothing to do or undo nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. How amazing 
Everything happens by itself. It's, um, I find that it's easy to, for the, the, that tendency of our minds to, to take ownership of the sense of doing practice, to also take this on as something to do. So like, I've, I've seen my mind so many times hear instructions like this, like nothing to do or undo, nothing to force, that sometimes, sometimes my mind can take that as like, okay, I, now I'm going to not try, or now I'm going to not not do it, um, and then is trying to not try, or um, kind of forcing a sense of trying to not force things. Um, yeah, that just brings up a sense of, of care for us and how how much our minds are conditioned to struggle and suffer. And that's not something that we, um, it's not something that we can control, but it is something that we can invite awareness of intimacy with, um, interest in and compassion for, um, yeah, I, I am, something connected to this this theme of effort and energy is uh i often i often find it really helpful to to remember wh- when there's a remembering of that all i can do is incline or incline or invite my heart or my mind in 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 the direction of of freedom in the direction of what feels truly skillful, truly loving, truly caring, truly wholesome. Um, I can just incline in that direction and invite that. And then whatever happens, whatever arises after it, whatever actually arises in experience is not really in my control. But if the intention is there to, um, the intention towards whatever is wholesome, whatever is being cultivated, whether that's heart qualities of compassion and kindness or awareness and wisdom, like awareness and curiosity towards experience, which cultivates wisdom. Um, just having the simple intention is, is actually all we have, all we can work with. Um, what happens after that is not, we can't actually make it happen. Um, it's kind of like, I like the image of cultivating or cultivating a garden. Like we can, we can, we can tend to the conditions that support growth. Uh, we can water, we can add fertilizer and plant seeds, but we can't make a fruit, a vegetable or a flower grow. Like that happens naturally. That's not something that's in our control. And if we're somehow trying to force it, we're just going to, we're just going to be adding harm. Like um, it's like the an image of, or there's a story about. Uh, I think it was like 
um, rice, a rice farmer who had this idea to go out and like pull up all of the, the little, the, the grasses that were growing up to pull them up all one by one to make them taller so that like, as like thinking that that would help them grow faster. And then they all died, of course. <laughs> um, that's, it's not something that, it's not something that we actually control or do, but we can tend to the, the conditions that support it. Um, we can incline towards what feels really wholesome. And that can actually be a refuge to know that, oh, my, the intention here is, is, is really wholesome, is, in, like, the intention here is, is to be caring, is to be, um, whatever, whatever you connect with that feels like, um, really supportive, wholesome. Um, and then we get out of the way because we don't actually ultimately have control over, over what unfolds. Um, something that one in practice instruction that teachers often use is to just drop in the intention. Um, whatever it is that the intention is, whatever it is that you're working with, for example, if it's just simply to be aware, just, just to know experience, you can drop in the intention. May there be, may there be awareness and interest with experience. And then don't do anything. Just relax and see what happens. Um, that might actually be, if, if over-efforting is a tendency, as it is for many of us, that, that might be something to explore um, that can be a helpful way into finding less of a sense of um, struggle with experience. And, um, and when there is struggle, it's not, it's not bad news. It's just that's what we're, that's what we're aware of. That's what we're uh, just a, a, awareness of, of greed, aversion, delusion is, is the path. Um, so it's not, it's actually, one teacher talks about rejoicing in seeing greed and aversion and delusion because when we're seeing it, when we're aware of it, then we can actually be cultivating a, a, um, a less entangled relationship to it. And we can like, okay, there's, here's greed arising. Like, okay, like when, when we're, when we're aware of it and seeing it, we don't, then we, then there, then there's less of a tendency. There's actually room to not identify with it and to not suffer because of it. It can just be something that is arising and being known just like a sight or a sound or a body sensation. Um, likewise, the, the aspects of mind that are tend to be really sticky, that we tend to really identify with and get caught up in. Um, like This happens a lot around the relationship to experience when we're practicing. Um, we can actually just include those experience as just natural arising and passing aspects of experience, just like sounds and sights and, and the breath. Um, the mind is doing its thing. Um, Utejaniya, uh, Andrea's main teacher, often talks, often says, um, the, the word, this again is kind of a puritanical sounding word, but defilements is often the translation for the greed, aversion, and delusion. Um, I don't, it's particularly like that word, but it's used so much that that's what comes to mind. Um, uh, the, 
what Utejaniya often says, the defilements are doing their job perfectly. There's no, you know, greed is natural. Aversion is natural. Being deluded and disconnected and spacey is natural. None of that is a problem. And none of that is ultimately something that we have to try to pick up and take ownership of. And the, the invitation and the practice is to just to, to be in a, a relaxed and non-reactive awareness of those experiences and to be interested in what they actually are, to be interested in, in the nature of our experiences, um, interested in what is, what is this experience actually? Like often we, we have an idea about what, what it is that we're experiencing and then we're actually in relationship to the idea of our experience and, and less than the, than the direct experience itself. So it can be helpful to ask, what is this actually? Um, and we can learn, learn about the, the relationship of experience. We can learn uh, the, sorry, the nature of experience and the mind's habitual relationship to that. Um, start to learn that experience is actually very fleeting, um, that things are not as solid as they seem. Um, what we what we tend to think of as solid, as kind of lasting, is really dynamic and, and fleeting and is kind of coming and going and um when that when that's seen directly, um not just understood conceptually, but when that's seen directly, that can have a really powerful powerful liberating effect on our relationship to our experience. Um likewise with our sense of um, identifying with and taking ownership with experience, um, taking experience to be I, me, or mine, um, through through this simple knowing experience as it is, and and wanting to see experience for what it actually is. When we know experience as experience, um, then there's no room there's there's no room to to take birth in in experience when it's seen as it actually is there's no room to identify with to contract around to cling to um experience when it's seen as it actually is and when we start to see that experience is constantly changing is is fleeting and that we're not actually controlling. Um, we don't actually get to control experience um, that, that's not governable by us, ultimately. Um, then the, the belief, the view that we have that if I can get experience to be a certain way, then I'll, then I'll be able to, then I'll be happy, then I'll, I'll find relief that, that there's, if I can create the conditions and experience or get experience to be a certain way or get the external world to be a certain way, then I'll stop suffering. Um, and that's... But when we start to see that we don't actually control our experience um, and that experience is so fleeting and vanishing, the, even if we do get what we want, it's not ultimately able to provide lasting satisfaction um, then that can f- free up a lot of stress and suffering 
around our attempt to control experience um, that is rooted in that the belief that experience that conditioned experiences can provide lasting satisfaction or can provide lasting kind of ultimate ease and freedom um, So, so the effort when effort is talked about, the right effort in the in the traditional teachings in the Eightfold Path, um, that's not the sense of kind of gritting our teeth. Uh, some of the connotation with the word effort and our relationship to effort is often a sense of that I have to kind of hunker down and do it and make it happen and push through and and force and. Um, that kind of effort is um, really bound up with suffering, and I think I think that that's the kind of effort that's being talked about in the this quote from the Sutta Nipata. These are the the words of the Buddha, translated by uh, Saratissa. It's every form of suffering grows out of effort. Eradicate effort, and no more suffering is produced. And what I think is being pointed to here in this this meaning of the word effort is this struggle with experience. Um, this sense of trying to make experience be a certain way, wanting it to be other than it is. Um, another another uh, quote that I often take as a practice instruction is from not a Buddhist teacher, but the Indian philosopher and teacher, uh, Krishnamurti. The quote is, when the mind is still, tranquil, not seeking any answer or any solution, neither resisting nor avoiding, it is only then that the mind is capable of perceiving what is true. And it is truth that liberates, not your effort to be free. So... I think there's a, a a very strong cultural tendency to think that if we if we just try really hard, then we can make something happen. Um, I love this pointing to that. It's actually not. It's the seeing the truth, the the actual nature of experience. When when we can, when we crock that experientially through through this moment-to-moment awareness and interest in experience and knowing experience as experience, that is what ultimately frees the mind of the, the, the views and beliefs and delusions that cause suffering. It's not how hard we're trying or how much we're gritting our teeth and, and, and striving in the practice that is what determines whether or not we're going to actually relieve suffering that actually that that's that might just be practicing more suffering um and again that's not a problem when that happens that's totally natural when we sit down to meditate for their for our minds to to do what they are what they have been conditioned to habitually do that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna see is all of our conditioning when we sit down on the cushion or sit down to meditate we see that oh wow i can't Sometimes we might say, oh, I, I can't actually 
relax or allow. It's like, okay, wow, like just we're learning about the conditioning of our minds um, and just being interested in how it is. Uh, but the the pointing to that there is a that there is a way of being in relationship to even that, to not having to have that go away, but to be in relationship with that too, including that um, without struggle, with, without kind of looking for an answer or a solution as Krishnamurti was pointing to, neither resisting nor avoiding. He says only then that only then the mind is capable of perceiving what is true. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's natural and it's natural and tempting to to kind of look for something in in practice or to try to to try to bring about a certain experience in practice, um, but that's actually not. But in, insight and understanding doesn't arise out of us going looking for something, but rather um, a sense of just receiving with interest the moment-to-moment unfolding of experience and being interested in what experience actually is, what the nature of experience actually is. Um... And again, from an article about Utejaniya, it was said that the, the application of wisdom rather than intense effort is what yields peace. And with wisdom, that peace is always available. And so the application of wisdom, what the Utejaniya often talks about, is, is there are some of it is actually reminding ourselves of things that we already know. Um, we can, if we have some understanding that, oh, like we have some, even just some intuition that, oh, like this is natural. This is, this is not ultimately in my control. This is natural. Like this experience is okay. There, it can be here. There can be, there can be room for that. Um, we can actually remind ourselves of that um, periodically throughout, throughout the day, throughout our sitting practice. Um, so we're drawing on wisdom, drawing on our understanding and drawing on wisdom, um, the pointing to knowing experience as experience. That might sound like, like nothing, like, like totally obvious, (laughs) but I don't, I think we're often not aware of experience as experience. We're often taking, especially the, the worlds or stories that our minds are spinning up. We're often taking that just to be reality and to be true, like this, this view, this belief about my life or the world that our minds are constantly creating. Um, we're often inhabiting that as, as the real world. And, and the, the pointing here is to recognize that as experience. And we're not to say that that's not true or it's wrong, but recognizing, Oh, that's a thought or a belief or a view. And when we're aware of that as experience, um, we can have, just have more perspective and more of a sense of, of freedom in our relationship to what our minds are doing and to the, the beliefs and the views that are arising in our minds. Um,
Um, another, another helpful pointing around the level of effort or energy that's that's actually skillful or needed that's often talked about is is say if for a lot of people the breath is like the primary object of experience. Um, if that's something that you practice, then just practicing being aware of half a breath at a time. Like how much how much effort or energy does it take to be aware of just an in-breath and then just an out-breath and then again, just an in-breath and again, just an out-breath and not trying to to conjure all the energy needed to be continuously aware for a long time, which we can't actually do. We can just be aware now. And that takes very little, very little energy, <clears throat> excuse me, very little energy or effort. Um, Again, the, the the main one of the main points or or takeaways that um, has been really helpful for me in my practice has been recognizing that in relaxed, relaxed and interested and kind, non-reactive, just being with experience and awareness of experience um, is actually covering all of the basis of right effort. The four, the four bases um, of right effort which are like in traditional language, abandoning, abandoning the unwholesome states that have arisen and preventing the future arising of unarisen unwholesome states. That's a mouthful. Um, and Supporting the the, the 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 sustaining and continuity of arisen wholesome states, and supporting the future arising of unarisen wholesome states. That um, there are many ways to do that. Like you know, metta practice is um, cultivating the wholesome too. If that's something that, or concentration practice, like just focusing on um, cultivating a sense of of settling and stability with a single object is also cultivating wholesome, wholesome qualities of mind. Um, but that when we're, when we're being aware of experience it, with a sense of wanting to know experience as experience and not kind of caught up in the struggle with it, um, uh, when we're allowing experience, when we're knowing, when we're inviting the cultivating a relationship to experience as being natural, as being okay, then we're, we're actually already, we're, that is right effort. We're covering all of those because awareness and wisdom, when we're aware, awareness and, and curiosity and interest um, is, is cultivating, um, like is, it's actually strengthening awareness and curiosity um, and Awareness of an unwholesome object, like when we're aware of struggle or aware of, of, um, aware of something that feels like is a source of suffering, um, that actually tends to diminish that because we're, we're seeing it, we're feeling the suffering of it, and we're not, 
um, <clears throat> and we're not we're not actually reinforcing it or cultivating it. <clears throat> That's outside. Okay. <laughs> That's um, it's, uh, one of the really beautiful things about this, this style of practice where we're not, directing, we're not directing the mind or directing experience. Um, we're not just trying to stay with one thing. That, that can be a really skillful cultivation too. But we're just watching what naturally happens and... and including what what's our relationship to what's being known. Um, like asking what's the question, what's the mind's relationship to this, to this experience? Um, so in that we're, we're including whatever greed or aversion might be in how we're meditating or in our, in our relationship to experience or how we're, not whether or not we're meditating, just whatever experience is happening. Um, so when we include, when we're including that in becoming aware of something that's actually um, unskillful and causes suffering, that awareness is skillful and leads to leads away from suffering. Um, so it's no longer being reinforced. Um, and when we're when we're when we recognize a wholesome quality of mind, like when we recognize um, wisdom or um, like a, a heart quality of care or kindness, or we we recognize equanimity, or we just recognize that oh, awareness is present, mindfulness is present. That awareness actually strengthens it. Actually, um, it reinforces it. Um, that's that's talked about in the teachings, and it's also talked a lot about in kind of modern neuroscience. Um, they talk about, and I think Rick Hansen, the neuroscientist, talks about. Um, one way to make positive experiences really stick um, in, is to be aware of them for something like eight seconds, <laughs> at least eight seconds. So when often positive experiences like happiness or joy or love or care, or something, something simple and, and sweet in our, in our everyday lives, even just you know, appreciating the, the sight of the leaves or something or feeling the breeze, um, those often don't stick in a way that, that impacts our baseline happiness over time um, because we're not really landing in them and taking them in. So when we're, when we're really present with and aware of wholesome qualities, that, that, that actually conditions, further conditions um, their arising and it, it actually shifts the baseline towards, towards the wholesome much more. Um, so we have a couple of we have a couple of minutes for questions if anybody has any questions or comments on the topic of effort or practice in general um, I'm really glad you 
spoke of this um, right effort. Um, to me, it's such a paradox. What I mean is, just see experience, experience is so simple, yet. My personal conditioning really com- complicated it, and uh, how to create that space between these two it is so it takes a skill because I go this way, I go that way, I go this way, mm-hmm. go that way. Mm-hmm. But what is very interesting to me is a lot thing you just talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the neuroscience proved that um, if we dwell a little bit longer with the well-being, with the positive thing, then that's a good influence to kind of bring us towards that direction. So I've immediately thought about that. How about the unskillful? So that means we need to forget it fast. We're going to be like a Teflon. Just don't, you know, don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't let linger too long. Um, anyway, so I just thought, wow, this is very interesting because it, this is what I'm focusing right now because I thought the practice, not just the effort, mm-hmm. it practice I want to bring joy. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Dalai Lama is always so happy, but his equanimity is amazing too. You know, what I mean is all this suffering he's seeing or even his personal suffering. So so on this path, how do I bring joy in more Mm -hmm. and with the right effort? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that comment and question. Um, yeah, it it can be. Um, it is kind. Of, it can be counterintuitive. It can feel like, oh, if I'm just aware of this anger or fear or whatever, doesn't isn't that reinforcing it? But when we're aware, of, when, when we're actually mindful of experience with some with some level of perspective and some level of interest in it, um, because it hurts, because it's painful and suffering, we're actually. It's really beautiful that our, our systems, our kind of you know, our, our organism, our system, has a natural tendency towards well-being. So when we're aware of something and we we really really feel that it hurts and really feel that it's suffering, actually naturally, when we're not just in it and kind of contracted around it, but just with it and and, be, and feeling it and being interested in it, we actually naturally tend to release it. Um, we na- we learn from it. And we learn oh this this anger really hurts. This is really causing suffering. Um, and because of, we have this natural kind of dr- inclination towards well-being, um, that information will actually help release it. Uh, when, we, when, we, when we really feel, oh, this is suffering. This is suffering. That can, can bring about compassion for ourselves. That can also bring about a releasing of that that tendency towards whatever it is that is that is hurting, um, and likewise, when we're when we're when we really land in what's what's really wholesome and joyful and beautiful, we feel that it's 
really deeply nourishing and, and brings a lot of well-being. And because we're drawn to that, that, that naturally strengthens that. Um, so we don't have to try to avoid giving airtime to what's negative. We can, um, but it is really, it is, it is really helpful to, to invite the cultivation of the wholesome, like, like you're saying, you want to, like you're saying you want to bring in more joy to your practice. Um, that is a beautiful and very onward leading, um, practice. Then that can be something, um, that's actually, there's traditional uh, heart practices um, in Buddhism, and then at least in Theravadan Buddhism, there's like uh, metta practice, loving kindness, and compassion, and then there's also appreciative joy practice. So you can bring to mind things that bring joy, um, and then take take your meditation just to, to be really landing in and soaking up that feeling of joy. Um, so whatever it is that feels like it brings a sense of wholesome joy, whether that's um, appreciating the beauty of nature or like babies or kids or animals or whatever it is just you know something simple whatever brings you joy um or a pre- the traditional practice is appreciating the joy of others or the happiness of others um and then feeling that sense of oh we have this sense of um kind of benevolent joy at others people other people's well-being and other people's happiness um and landing like really taking that in and landing in that um is a really powerful cultivation that's that's um really onward leading i I highly encourage that as its own practice too yeah yeah unfortunately we're a little bit over so i don't have too much time. I, I can stay if anyone has any further questions, but if anyone needs to leave right away, I want to close the circle so that we can, uh, people can get where they need to be on time. So thank you all for your practice and for your attention.